And then uh, where we started two weeks ago was, uh, just to bring up memory, uh, we started with fortitude and we talked about a woman's challenge. And we'll just do a, a brief review here on uh, what we covered. Uh, so what we came away with from that passage was that a woman is commanded uh, to respect her husband. Uh, it's different than what God asks of the guy. Secondly, that beauty of heart is far more important than beauty of body or looks. It talked about the fact that in my life, I know a lot of people who are very plain looking people. And yet when you get next to them, they're just spectacularly awesome people. And they become very beautiful to you. And you don't realize it's their heart that comes out of that. And I'm sure as I say that, you'll think of people through your life where you can go, yeah, they were no great shakes physically to look at. But when you were with them, they were gorgeous, right? And, uh, and so uh, that carries a long way. And then uh, a gentle and quiet spirit is a great worth in God's sight. We point out the fact that gals, often we feel powerless. And when we do, we tend to ratchet up the volume, all right? And, uh, and talked about what that does. We'll look at that a little further today. And then the biggest point was to not operate out of a spirit of fear. Uh, I can't tell you how many gals I've run into who have, why do you do that? Because I'm afraid. And they're, it's run by a spirit of fear. And so we covered that. So this week we're going to look at the man's side of it. And... Um, if we go to First Peter, it reads like this. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Uh, two weeks ago, I mentioned that there was no way I was going to get out of that passage alive, right? There's no way to win in it. This one isn't any better, because on one side you have all the gals saying, oh, women are weaker vessels, eh? You know, and then the guys go, hey, aren't you going to put the women in their place and tell them how to do it? You just got dead pastor laying all over the podium. That's, I mean, there's just nowhere to go with this stuff, all right? And um, besides that, I also recognize when we're talking about this kind of stuff is that I'm talking into a really long-running conversation, right? In other words, for a number of us, this isn't just a week or two, but we've been at this uh, guy, gal, husband, wife thing for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 25, 30, 40, right? And so I'm talking into a whole web of interrelated things that uh, bounce against each other when you bring a topic like this up. And uh, I know that we're not going to get all of that solved this morning, so it seemed wise to me that we probably should pray at this point, all right? <laughs> I think that would be a good thing to do. So let's pray. Father, I don't think an average person can really appreciate how difficult it is sometimes to come across these passages and try to find middle. Try to find your heart. Try to find a way to express it that is in keeping with your heart and spirit and yet at the same time lays out the truth of it. And so this two weeks ago, Lord, you helped a lot when we covered the women's side. And I would ask for that same grace this morning. What... My hope is that people will not hear me, but they'll hear you. Uh, Holy Spirit, you've had running conversations with a lot of us, some of us, uh, for years. And we know the things you've highlighted or pointed out. And where this taps at, where this is true, I pray that it would just once again turn the light bulb on and you could re-highlight it and people would know they've heard from you and not from just Pastor Steve. And so we seek you for that, for the sake not only of our marriages, our families, sake of your kingdom and your church. And we ask this in your name. Amen.
All right. All right, so the passage is obviously addressing husbands, but single gang, all right? And I'm looking at a lot of you who are my buddies and posses and we run with and stuff. Uh, it is really good if you take notes on this, all right? Because there's a lot to learn. One of the things that um, was good is that about being single till I was 38. Well, there was very little good about it, but uh, one of the things that was good about it was the fact that I got to watch a lot of couples, and Jan would say to me, hey, get into people's homes, you're single, have dinner with them and, and watch couples. And I, at the time, I didn't know why he said that, but um, I did. And a kid would come to youth group and I'd go, gee, I wonder why that kid's that way. And I'd go have dinner and go, oh, that's why that kid's that way, right? And I started to watch patterns. And in all honesty, I watched some really, really healthy patterns. I watched couples when I want to be like them. I like how that works. The spirit of their home, that's good. And then I saw other couples that went, no, I don't want to do that. I do, that's okay. Take notes on that. Don't repeat that pattern. That is not a good pattern. This home is not a happy home. This home is not a healthy home. It may be Christian, but it's dysfunctional underneath. And, uh, and so I learned a lot about what to look for. And I believe it made a great difference in our marriage. I don't know. You'll have to ask Pam. But... Uh, uh, it was a far better package than what she would have got if I hadn't been able to study any of that, right? So uh, to start this morning, let's go back and relook at the woman's challenge. I'll put it back up here on the, uh, on the board and you can see those. What I want to do with this um, is flip this this morning, all right? In other words, gals, if you were to not do this list, what would it look like? And then how does that interact with the husband's side of it. So we'll start with the gals, make a bridge, and then shift the husbands, all right? So uh, on the flip side, what happens is uh, a gal feels powerless, all right? I, I can't tell you how many gals I've heard say, I feel powerless, I feel invisible, I feel unheard, um, it, it just uh, multitudes, right? I am alone is often the common phrase. And so in that state, a gal starts to feel deeply insecure. She starts to feel um, like she doesn't matter. And in her attempts to be heard, usually what she does is the second step. So to be heard, she turns up the volume. All right? She ratchets up the volume because she desperately wants to be heard. She's really not mad. She's really not angry, but it sounds that way. Uh, the other thing is that when she ratchets up the volume, usually the countenance on her face shifts, right? And so she appears to her husband to be angry. And the husband says, are you angry? No. Wow, you sure look angry. Wow, what is that, right? And the guy is kind of baffled and confused, and, uh, but he feels the, the growing tension. And then in the process, her comments often come across as, disrespectful. Often at this stage, we use terminal language. You never, you don't, you, right? We, you always, and, and pretty soon the guy feels like a cloth sock and he feels all bit up, beat up. And so the husband then uh, responds in kind to what he's perceiving. And what that looks like, here's the husband's response. Sure, I got it up there, okay. Um, so Gals, what you need to understand about your guy is that he does not see you as powerless. 
He sees you as very powerful, especially with words. You can out, you can run circles around him with words. All right, and one of the reasons is because gals you're more verbal than guys. So an average gal uses thirty to thirty-three thousand words a day. The average guy uses between twelve or fifteen. Right at work, he uses up ninety-eight percent of those. So when he comes home, he is ready for a break because he has no words left. The gal has been talking two-year-old all day. She is dying for some adult interaction. She hears the car. She goes, salvation, right? And the husband literally walks up and as he comes to the door, he can hear the dump truck backing up going beep, 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 beep. And the words are, right? And you can see, gals, you ever see a guy just go, right? And you lost him. He's like, you just, and he's like, wow. The other reason that your husband feels that you are so powerful is because you can multitask. Right? He can't. Right? We're kind of one-trick ponies. And so we kind of go to one thing, conquer it, done, sealed, signed, delivered. Okay, on to the next thing. Right? Gals, you go, you popcorn all over them. Pop, 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 right? And he's like, what was the first one? Right? You ever, right? It happens. And so, ladies, you have to understand, your husband sees you as very powerful when it comes to verbally, especially. When you turn up the volume, he perceives that as an attack, right? You are wanting to fight. He's seeing that as a direct confrontation. He, don't know, he doesn't know what, you've, what he's done wrong. He just knows he's in trouble before he got in the door. And so he's going to bristle up and become like a porcupine and try to figure out, uh, as things are flying by him, what he is up against. Your countenance to him, ladies, signals that you're in a fight. Okay? So he's picking up the outward symbols and he's going, all right, this is a full-on brawl here. Wow, what are, what are we going to do? And in the process of talking, he feels discredited and disqualified. And then here's the critical one, ladies. In that process then, the fifth one, he now no longer sees you as a wife. He sees you as an opponent, right? And that vastly changes things. Because once you're an opponent, the odds are really good that he is probably not listening to the Holy Spirit at this point anyways. And so he's going to react in kind. Remember, ladies, two weeks ago when we said that we want to treat our husbands like our girlfriends, right? And we, so we've just talked a lot and all work, and that doesn't work very well with your husband, right? Uh, likewise, for the husbands... This doesn't work really, because he doesn't have a lot of options. And so he's got two options in this process that he can do. He can either, one, go silent, which is passive, right? He just, boom. Non, non-committal in his face, boom, right? Uh, in America, where do we go? The garage, right? And, and guys go to the garage, why? Because they're seeking distance, they're seeking calm. They're seeking a place where they can get away from that because they've been overwhelmed by it. They don't know how to counter it. And they don't want to do or say something really stupid. Okay? Because they know the Holy Spirit saying, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. And so the, 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 the best they can come up with is the flee to the garage. Or they cannot listen to the Holy Spirit and then they can match tone for tone and jack it up according to their perception 
of what that feels like. But here's the problem. Men and women seldom perceive conflict the same way. So to the guy, the gal's talking at a level eight, he thinks, well, I'll be really kind and I will talk to her at a level two. To the lady, the two sounds like an eight. And now you get into an escalation of boom, 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 boom. And the question is, where is that going to end? One of the surprising and shocking things for couples who are married in their first year, Brooks and Amanda, don't take this too much to heart, all right? Um, but is the fights they get into and the intensity of them, and like, where did that come from? We never did that before. That's never happened. Wah, ha, oh, it's awful. we got to fix it, right? And, and I have them come in my office and they go, I, maybe we should have listened a little better when you were talking to us because one of the things I talk about is what does fighting look like in your relationship? Do you have, is it feel safe? Does it feel fair when you dialogue together or does it feel unsafe? One of the reasons that's so important is we come from very different family systems, right? Take, uh, you know, take uh, an Italian, for example, and they marry a Norwegian. You're going to have a real different approach to conflict, right? Uh, Kind of thing. And so, um, so does that set the stage? So what I want to do is um, talk through this. This is often known as the flight or fight mode. And uh, again, the key point is here, gals, what you need to realize, and husbands, what we need to realize that's wrong is we no longer see her as our wife. We now treat you, uh, the one who's attacking, we see you as an opponent. And so we no longer then, guys, live with our wife in an understanding way. All right? That's what Peter's talking about, is the need to live with our wife in an understanding way. Um, And at this point, we, the husbands, can easily play the victim. God, how could you have given me this woman? Right? And then God says, well, he could easily come back. Don't you remember you told me you had to have her? You want to go back and replay replay your prayer list 20 years ago, what you had to have? Uh, Oh, yeah. uh, uh, Help, please. Right? Is where we get stuck. And what happens is then, ladies, is that generally most men quit. Right? They don't quit outwardly and they don't walk away, but they quit. They just kind of shut down inside. And they resign themselves that it's an unsolvable riddle and they just hope to somehow survive. Okay, it's good again. All right. Right? And we on we go. But could it be, guys, I'm talking to you now, husbands, could it be there's something deeper here, not just deeper regarding our motives, obviously that's in play, and not just even deeper regarding our marriages, that's important too, but deeper regarding the kingdom, regarding God's motives and what he's trying to accomplish. And guys, I think there is. One of the ways to read this passage is from what I'd call a power context. Who's the stronger, who's the weaker? It naturally rolls out that way. And what God is asking from both, uh, we've already seen what he's asked from the wives, now he zeroes in on the husbands. And by definition, the call is for those who see themselves as strongest to also be the gentlest. Why? And why is God trying to point that out? Well, I think it's for this reason. Our tendency, men, is to be harsh. Okay? Okay? We bristle up pretty quickly. We tend to be porcupines uh, a lot of times. And so we tend to be harsh in our words 
And, and I don't know about you, but my wife is incredibly sensitive to my tone. Okay, if it so much flickers out a little bit of anger, she instantly can catch it. Uh, we tend to be harsh in our, our, our tone. We tend to be harsh in our spirit. And we are not at that point then understanding, but rather we are reacting, and might I add, not reacting very well. All right? Both of these responses, the silent, the passive one, and the fighting or the aggressive one, are what I would call symptomatic. Right? They are not the real thing, but they're a symptom or reflection of, an indicator, if you will, of the deeper issue. And what's the deeper issue? What's, the, what's brewing here? What's the virus behind the stuff that I'm talking about? Now, husbands, I want to tell you what I believe it is, is our anger. Okay? There is a lot of anger in men. And I don't think I'm stretching that because I've worked with men for over 40 years now. And I've worked with myself. There's a lot of unresolved anger that comes flushing out of us when the pressure increases and crisis kicks up. And I want to say this morning that God is serious about us rooting out the spirit of anger in our hearts. Most of the time it's like a low simmer. Matter of fact, I would bet most of us as men have been shocked at how we've gotten angry in the different seasons of life where we've gotten angry, where we never had a problem with that before, and now suddenly it flares on us. Like, wow, I, I, that never bothered me before, right? And, and I don't know why it's flushing up right now. But it's often like if you ever put water on a stove, right, and you have it on simmer, right, and it's just sitting there simmering, perking, just low heat, just perking away. How much does it take to turn up the heat before that water boils if it's already on a simmer? Not much, right? An instant boil. That's what's going on a lot in our spirits. Rather than reacting in harshness and anger, He, God, our Father, is asking us to live with our lives in an understanding way. Exactly the same way He lives with His bride, the church. Think about that for a second. He is asking us to respond to our brides the same way He responds to his bride, the church. As a matter of fact, what God is asking of us directly is totally counterintuitive to what we're thinking or feeling. Right? And I'm sure you felt that pull at different times. Right? It, he asks you to do the exact opposite of what you feel like you're doing. We want to fight. Right? Guys, we're made for fighting. We are made for protection. We are made for that. And if there's an opponent that comes against our home, we will take them on tooth or nail. God, help you if you mess with my daughters. All right? I will go white. Okay? The problem is when I perceive my wife to be that opponent, that very strength has now become my worst weakness. It's what now cripples me in the relationship, and it's what upturns the whole family dynamic because we want to fight, and God says, no, 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 love her. And we go, lover, are, are you kidding me? She doesn't like me. She doesn't desire me. She doesn't give me sex. She doesn't honor me in any way, shape, or form. Love her? Serious? And God goes, yeah, love her, seriously. Yes, love her like I love the church. How did Jesus love the church? Let's take a look at that again. Let's remind ourselves. I know we read this and we read this at our weddings, but think of it in this context here. 
have the first part up on the screen. You can turn there. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Key phrase in the whole passage. Often, God, I'm wasting my one and only life with this woman. You've got to be kidding me. And God goes, yeah, the same way I did for my bride. I gave myself up for her. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Have you ever thought about how he's going to do that? Have you ever looked at the church? We're pretty spotted, we're pretty stained, we're pretty wrinkled. How he's going to do that is beyond me. But he's going to do it. That she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, likewise, just as, follow the pattern. In the same way, husbands, you should love your wives as your own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Goes on to say this. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are all members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, each of one of you should love his wife as himself, and the wife should see that she respects her husband. Notice there the command is two different things for the man and the woman. Gals, ladies, you are called upon to respect your husband. The usual refrain in that is good. Yes, got it. I will respect him when he earns it. Right? And I said two weeks ago, what if God came to you and said, I will love you ladies when you earn it? Likewise, to the man, he says, guys, I'm not asking you respect. I'm asking you to love. I'm asking you to learn something that you don't normally do very well. And notice in both of these then, it reflects the Godhead. What's so important about this? Jesus has dealt with the church, his bride, in a very understanding way. I don't know if any of you are church history buffs. I know a couple of you are, Brian and I have great talks on that. But if you go through church history and watch church history, you will start to get a sense of how God has dealt in an understanding way with his bride. It's a miracle there's still a thing called the church. All right? It's a miracle that anybody shows up. It's an incredible thing. Why is it still going? Because Christ has dealt with the church in an understanding way. Now, of course, the difference is Jesus is selfless, and we tend to be selfish. Uh, nothing flushes out your selfishness more than marriage. It's actually designed by God to do that, guys. So if you're shocked that you got caught, you shouldn't be. All right? because it shows you our selfish side. But the point being made that, that's being laid out here, husbands, is that Jesus deals with the church in a loving and an understanding way. And we get to learn a whole lot about the kingdom and a whole lot about the heart of God as we learn to love and value our wives. In other words, God draws the analogy, you want to learn to respect me, you want to learn to honor me, you want to learn to love the way I love? then I'm going to ask you to love your wife the way I love my bride. And in that process, you're going to learn something incredibly and profoundly deep about who I am as a person. As a matter of fact, it seems to indicate in the New Testament and the Old that if we don't do that, if we, if we don't take on that assignment, then we really don't know much about the kingdom. 
We can talk church. We can talk Christianity, but we don't know much about the relationship because we're failing at the main object lesson that God has given us as husbands. By the way, this all goes back, right? This whole husband and wife thing goes all the way back to the garden, Adam and Eve and the fall, and there's a whole ton of stuff wrapped and warped in on this, and we don't have time to cover that today. But to distill it down to its essence, just as a woman does not come across honoring when she turns up the volume to be heard, so a husband does not come across as loving when his inner spirit is full of anger. By the way, guys, I've said this and I've taught this. Let me repeat it again because it's so essential. Lust is anger-driven. Okay? Lust is anger-driven. So just understand lust is a symptom and that anger is really the core. And if you can make that connection, you'll gain a great victory in terms of purity because you'll understand it's not lust you're after, it's anger and you haven't resolved the anger in your spirit. You've got to take that issue to God. Talked before about the illustration of fine china and a Rubbermaid garbage can. Guys, our tendency is to be harsh. We treat our wives like a Rubbermaid garbage can. We throw garbage at them. We throw garbage in them. We kick them down the hallway. We dump them out. We wash them out, kick them back down. If they break, we hope we get a new one. All right? And God goes, no, 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 no. You've got the picture wrong. Fine china. You don't kick fine china down the hallway. You don't put garbage in fine china. Matter of fact, you treat it very carefully. You treat it special and with care because by its very nature, it's fragile and it can break. What looks like such great strength to us guys is actually weakness in a gal and it has to be treated with great care because we can really kill their spirit. You ever see a woman's spirit just go, whoop, right? And once it's in that turtle shell, how easy is it to get it out? You can't, right? The harder you pry, the tighter it closes. But if you're gentle, if you're wise, if you're soft, pretty soon it'll start to open up and it'll flower again. And it takes great understanding uh, to be able to do that. James speaks to this. He says, Know this, know this, brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, most of us know that verse. We've done it in Sunday schools and we've grown up with it and we know that we violate that. But have we thought about that, guys, in terms of the context of our marriage? Right? Because most of our habits are we are uh, slow to hear, quick to speak, and fast to anger. Right? You're right? Like that. Have we thought about in the context of our anger that towards our wife, we should be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. That what we're about is building righteousness in our homes and holiness in our homes. It's not about winning. But guys, we boil almost everything down to winning. And I've got to win. And you look at your wife as an opponent and you come up with devices for how you can win. Short run, long term. Doesn't matter. I will beat you. And so we live 25, 30 years together waiting for that day that we can beat them. And people say, how is it that you could be married 25 years and you, you, people walk out of the marriage? It's easy. It didn't start there. It started 25 years ago with this kind of spirit and competition in the marriage and it just built. And by the time at 25 years, it's such a big monster. When you get done at the end and the kids leave the home, thank you. 
The kids are fine. I don't know you anymore, nor do I want to. I'm out. Right? In our culture, we don't wait anymore. It's two, three, five, seven, right? And, and we walk. Proverbs 16.32 says, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. NIV reads it this way, Better a patient man than a warrior, and a man who controls his temper than one who takes a city. Think about that. Where is real power? Where is real strength? Where is real godliness? It's in the ability to control my temper and to be patient, not in letting everybody have a piece of my mind, which most of us can ill afford to lose. Right? And so God's talking about this. Author and speaker Eric McTaxis says, God's strength is protecting others and for the sake of others. Often talked about if you... Uh, think about a dad and a son walking down a mall and you have a dad and a, a three to four-year-old son. By definition, who's more powerful? The dad. Therefore, by definition, who has to be more gentle? The dad. And all of us know how wrong it is when the dad isn't gentle with that three or four-year-old boy, right? Likewise, God is the most powerful being in the universe and he says, my great strength is my patience. My great strength is in being slow to anger my great strength is operating with you in an understanding way. And if you want to be like me, you're going to have to learn that, husbands. You're going to have to learn to uncoil from some of the things that have been bred into you, come down the generational train that you've picked up from the culture, and you're going to have to walk away from that. So let's look at that passage in First Peter again. It says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So out of this warning, the question is, okay, God, you're serious about this. Yes. Well, why love them? Why should I work to cut out anger out of my spirit? By the way, I don't know about you, but that's a far more layered onion than I ever gave credit for. I've seriously worked on my anger since 1988. I still haven't arrived. Right? And I'm wondering if I'll ever get there. I don't know how far I've come. You'll have to ask Pam. Right? But um, this is not a battle I do not understand. Why treat them with honor? Because they are fellow heirs of grace, of the grace of life, just like we are. And the big point, the takeaway for the morning, so that your prayers will not be hindered. How easy is it to pray, husbands, when you're angry? Matter of fact, why don't we pray together as couples? I want to suggest because it's hard to pray when the man is angry and the woman is full of fear. Especially when it's that man making her fearful. Gals, do you want him anywhere close to you? No, you want him away somewhere. Right? I don't want to pray with you. And guys, when you're stuck like that, do you want to pray with her? No. The inner heart vibration or spirit of the couple isn't right, and so praying together is the last thing on earth we want to do. Uh, We pray, and here's usually what it sounds like. God, could you change them? How many of you prayed that prayer? Please change them. If not, could you take them to heaven? You know, we kind of laugh at that, right? It would be astonishing to find out how many of us actually have had that thought cross through our minds. 
you know what? Just get them out of here. I can start over. I can do better the second time around. What's that revealing? Well, it reveals a lot of stuff. But husbands, here's what I want to say this morning. See if you can hear me on this. Your wife is not your opponent. Okay? Hear me when I say this. Your wife is not your opponent. Okay? And you are to intercede for her in an understanding way, just like Jesus intercedes for his church, his bride. This is no idle exhortation, men. We husbands are to cover our families, our marriage in prayer. Again, it's estimated that 80% of all Christian couples do not pray together. And I know you're sick of me saying this, and I know you're sick of me talking about this, but why don't we pray together? Because I want to suggest this morning, Satan has been very effective in splitting us apart at an atomic level in the kingdom. Where is that? In our marriages. He pits us against each other as opponents, and we find fault with each other, and we turn on each other, and we're not loyal to each other. And so, as a result, we don't pray. What's the spillover, carryover that? If there's no momentum on Sundays, if there's no joy, there's no worship, there's no radiance, if there's no attendance, it may be the pastor's fault, right? Sucky preacher, you know, go to another church. It could be the worship guy's fault. I told Zach in the first service, I'm going under the bus. I'm taking him with me. We might as well go together. Right? It could be the worship pastor's fault. He's awful and terrible and that kind of stuff. But maybe it's more organic than that. We are utterly defeated because we are not praying together as couples. And we are utterly defeated husbands because we don't own that and make that a priority so that we pray with our spouses so that we can protect them and live with them in an understanding way. Now, I don't intend to be harsh this morning, men, but I do intend to be accurate. Hear what I'm saying. We are responsible for this. We are responsible not only for this, but to this. This is our job. This is what we are asked to do. We are asked to be under the authority and the kingdom leadership of the Lord Jesus and to protect those he has put under our charge, not only but especially our wives. You know, if you think about it, revival isn't going to just happen. Revival is not something that's just magic. People aren't going to just magically fill up the seats, although we always hope that will happen. What will draw them? It'll draw, what will draw them is if they sense something different about us than about themselves. They're not interested in the veneer or the packaging. We are way past that in our culture. right? They can sniff that out 10 miles away. They know if we're selling something. But if we are being something, that's very different. If we actually do something very different than what they do, and it creates a presence that's very different than what they experience, they will be attracted to that. Like fly does, flies to honey. Right? And one of the things I was deeply attracted to when I was a non-believer was I knew that Christians had something different than what I had. I did not know what it was, but I remember being around them and being in their homes going, wow, this is nothing like the home I grew up in. What the heck is going on here? And what do these people have? I now know it was the Holy Spirit. 
At the time, I couldn't identify, I couldn't put my finger on it. Well, what, where does that go out the window with us? It goes out the window when we don't pray together. All right? And you're saying, Steve, we are so sick of hearing you say that. Here's the fix. You start praying together, I'll stop. Got it? We get 80% of us as couples praying together, I'll never mention it again, promise. All right? But till then, we're going down that road, baby, and you're either going with me or you're going to walk out. Okay? Because this, I think, is core of why the church is so weak is because we do not pray together as couples. And I believe the presence of Christ is more than enough to do that. But men, will we have the manifest presence of Christ if we are not praying in an understanding way with our wives? I'm just asking the question. And obviously we know the answer to that, right? By the way, just closing thought. Who wrote this? Who, who penned this? Who, who are we studying right now? Peter. Was Peter known as the... Uh, most dapper gentleman in the world? Was Peter really known as a very understanding guy? Wasn't Peter kind of an open mouth, insert fire and flame, think about it after he did it kind of guy? How do you think he'd have been to be a husband in marriage? How, how do you think it would have been to be Peter's wife? Right? You think that would have been an easy task? I don't think so. When is Peter writing this? He's writing this at the end of his life. Do you think Peter might have learned something in his years with Jesus that he hadn't learned as a young man and he's coming back now saying, hey, it might be wise for you to do it a little differently than I did it. Here's some things I learned. Here's some things that are really important. You know, if Peter had to do it, don't we have to do it? Guys, this is our job. This is why we're on this planet, is to protect those who are under us, to protect our sphere of influence, and we do that by prayer, and we do that by praying with our wives. I think Peter learned that. If you don't accept that and you reject Peter, at least accept the part of the Holy Spirit. I know he's told you that you are to pray with your wives. But we've told him you don't understand that's true for most Christian husbands, but I'm an exception because of whom I'm married to. I don't see that anywhere in the text, do you? Not there. Is that in your text, sir? No, mine either, okay? Guys, you can tell the girls, yeah, you better respect me. Guys, how good are we at loving? How good are we at praying, staying steady with it? That's, I think, an important thing that we need to walk out of here with. Let's take it. Let's own it. Don't be discouraged. Don't feel beat up. Let's own our job. Let's do what we were designed in the beginning before the fall in the garden that we were supposed to do as men, all right? Let's be Jesus to our family. Let's be Jesus to our wives. And yes, that's impossibly hard. But he'll help us. Let's pray. Father, as we come before this, it really takes the uh, unction of your spirit is an old word to help us do what we cannot do in our flesh, to help us do what we know we're supposed to do and yet we find a really hard time doing, to help us not be harsh, to help us not be exacting. In another passage it says, Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Why do we exasperate them? Because we never let up. We just stay on it and we grind them into the ground. And Lord, our tendency is to do that the same way. And often our excuse to you is that 
they beat us up and Lord, you would come back with, yeah, my bride beat me up too. Didn't mean I quit loving her. If we want to take that to heart, Lord, the truth is we don't suffer very well and we whine a lot. But there's an incredible exhortation here to live with our wives in an understanding way. If anybody understands his bride, it would be you, Lord Jesus. And we pray that you would gift us individually, different temperaments, different personalities as husbands, that you would gift us with the ability to love in a new and a deeper way that really reflects your heart towards not only just our families, but for your kingdom. And we ask this in your name. Amen.